Welcome, listeners, to www.ironradio.org, the website and podcast for all things strength sports and sports nutrition. With your hosts, Lonnie Lowry. Remember, Phil is like a gnarled old oak tree held together with scar tissue and bone spurs. Rob Fortney. And I'm telling you, the pain that I would suffer was beyond excruciating. And Phil Stevens. Do it, Rob. You'll kill all those nerves. Thanks for listening. Welcome, IronRadio.org listeners. This is Lonnie Lowry. I'm an exercise physiology and a nutrition professor, and I'm a former competitive bodybuilder. And this is Phil Stevens. I'm a strength coach, powerlifter, Highland Games athlete. I run LiftForHope.org and Strength Guild. Awesome. Everyone, today we have uh, Dr. Smith Ryan, um, Abby, who is, um, well, I'll just give you a quick rundown here, collegiate endurance runner, um, had some nutrition and overtraining kind of issues that I think, uh, and she can clarify here, led into her research career in some ways. But um, we're going to be asking her in the topic of the day after the break about high-intensity interval training and fat loss and what kind of research she's done in that regard. And I know she has a new book out with uh, Dr. Antonio, Joey Antonio. So lots to talk about today. And I'm going to start with just a little bit of news. Strength and Muscle Sport News. The first thing, by the way, this is the theme with all the news, and this is partly serendipitous, is vitamin D. Um, I got this through the grapevine. In fact, it might have been through uh, Joey Antonio. It's um, July 2013, spanking new from the journal Sports Medicine. It's called Vitamin D and Physical Performance. They did an electronic database search uh, with Medline from 1966 all the way through now, essentially, uh, and other uh, databases, and they looked for search terms like vitamin D and performance because there's this ongoing link about vitamin D and muscle tissue, right? I mean, you have nuclear receptors. Vitamin D is a hormone. We've talked about this before. Um, and there seems to be a relationship with strength and whatnot. And this is just getting teased apart. Uh, this particular paper doesn't go into great detail with specific data, but it says recent studies suggest vitamin D maintains physical performance in athletes. And I know Phil and I, we talk about that sometimes that it's, is this true of athletes or just recreationally active people, stuff like that, and other active populations. For example, maximum uh, oxygen uptake may be related to vi- uh, vitamin D status. Poor vitamin D status may also affect muscle strength, uh, and vitamin D may participate in protein synthesis, again, because of the actions of the vitamin D receptor in muscle tissue. So that made me curious about what's going on now, because if you look on Medline or other databases, this just a hotbed of material for vitamin D. Um, this next one is July 2013. I mean, this is hot off the press of stuff. Medical hypotheses. It says, does low serum 25-hydroxy vitamin D, and for people who are interested, 25-hydroxy D, that's the one that we look at uh, to look at vitamin D status, just because it has a longer half-life. It has a half-life of about 15 days. Um, one 25-hydroxy vitamin D for you chemistry metabolism nerds that's not as good of an indicator because it has a short half-life of like 15 hours so anyway they're looking at the uh, relationship between vitamin d and strenuous physical activity and rhabdo rhabdomyolysis here it says vitamin d plays an important increasingly understood role in muscle health and performance vitamin d has both nuclear and membrane receptors Uh, It says, our hypothesis, because of some relationship with statin drugs and muscle weakness, I guess, and, um, you know, muscle pain and whatnot, our hypothesis is that subjects with pre-existing low serum 
25-hydroxy-D are selected to be actually exhibit more, you know, rhabdomyolysis after strenuous activity. And it says, so what they basically did was, as far as methods, is they, uh, it's really just a case study. Uh, and it surrounds a, a thin, athletic, dark-skinned, but very conditioned young man. He had extraordinarily low 25-hydroxy-D in his blood, uh, only 6 nanograms per mil. So bottomed out. And got rhabdo, heat stroke, um, DIC. I'm not going to go into this coagulation stuff. The point being, in conclusion, we suggest that when very low vitamin D is documented, it be normalized before major prolonged exertion. And I just thought to myself back, at, uh, what, a year ago when the Iowa football team got in so much trouble with rhabdo, like 13 of those guys. And this just suggests that maybe had they dosed them with some vitamin D for a couple of months beforehand maybe some of those guys wouldn't have gone down as hard as they did. Um, yeah. So interesting stuff. That's Conrad and Gleck. It's um, Cincinnati, Ohio. It's from a hospital down there. And then the last one, which arguably is the juiciest, and I actually went looking for this one, um, vitamin D and muscle function. Is there a threshold in the relation? So I think this is very interesting because replacing a deficiency is one thing, but more is better up to what point? And that's what these guys are trying to um, answer. These guys are from the ne Netherlands, Journal of the American Medical Directors Association, June 2013. Jansen and colleagues, it says, objectives first to determine the as association between serum 25-hydroxy-D, remember we said that's the one we look at, and muscle mass, strength, and performance. Now we're talking. Um, secondly, to explore if there's a threshold uh, they took 802 persons, men and women. It looks like they were middle-aged to older than middle-aged. Um, but it says they measured health-related and lifestyle factors, physical activity, of course, blood concentrations of D, lean mass, hand grip strength, leg extension strength, and physical performance. Uh, what happened? It says overall, 25-hydroxy-D uh, was significantly associated with higher lean mass. I think that's interesting. D was also related to hand grip strength, positively, um, and physical performance. Um, it says the association, however, was most pronounced with level, very low levels, below 60 nanomoles per liter. And I keep going on about you know, these different levels. If you look, again, at the Office of Dietary Supplements from the National Institutes of Health online, it's just uh, ods.od.nih.gov. Office of Dietary Supplements. They have a really nice explanation of vitamin D for people who are interested, including serum levels that when you have your doctor check, what are you looking for? And basically you're looking for around 50 to 100 nanomoles per liter or 20 plus nanograms per milliliter. It just depends on how they run the units. Um, anyway, so interesting stuff. This website also from the Office of Dietary Supplements suggests that you don't want to go over 150 nanomoles per liter because of adverse effects. Some people get too, um, too excited, I think, maybe with the D. Um, in any case, it says, conclusion, in middle-aged men and the women that were studied, a higher 25-hydroxy-D level, so higher serum levels of D, was significantly associated with higher muscle mass, muscle strength, and performance. But these associations were only pronounced below 60 nanomoles per Leader, so sort of a mid-range, um, and we're absent over 60. So there's a ceiling effect, in other words. And you would probably guess that, right? Of course it's not more is better. And I've actually pointed out before that too much D, some of the things that it helps with, like 
carbohydrate handling in the diet metabolically, things like that, those will actually backfire. You can hurt your glucose tolerance and things like that if you overdo the vitamin D. I purposely shoot for about 3,000 international units a day. Some people will go five. Um, I don't think I would go five or more than five, though. Uh, but, you know, that's each person needs really to get checked, I think. Anyway, that's the nerd out about vitamin D. <laughs> I got a few things. Um, you know, the first one is kind of on the... Uh the topic we've touched on before, that a lot of times when performance is involved, leaner's not better. Um, and a particular running back for the, the New York Jets this season, uh, two years ago he added a bunch of weight in an attempt to become more durable. Well, this time he decided to shed weight to get quicker, and uh, he may have overdone it. He got down to 3.3% body fat. Um, initially he didn't pass his physical, so they put him on the physically unable to, to perform list. Um, and then two days later, he passed it. Uh, he went out to practice and suffered from dehydration and a myriad of other things. And, uh, you know, they had to put a, an ice vest on him and everything else. So <clears throat> they're, they're trying to push his body fat back up to make him just be able to perform because um, he just couldn't hold the water and, you know, he was just crapping out in practice, especially the two-a-days and stuff those guys are pulling off now. Um, it's just one of those... One of those things we've talked about before. Um, you know, I don't know if it's because your T levels fall. You know, I've never actually seen data about specifically what it is about low body fat. Is it like a tissue leverage thing that we've kind of touched on in the past? Like you said, hydration. I don't know, Abby, have you ever seen anything directly about the relationship between low body fatness and uh, inability to perform? You know, I think it would, I mean, I, I haven't seen any data, but I would think it'd be more related to hormones than anything. Mm-hmm. And just recovery, muscle damage, and then, you know, potentially hypocaloric intake as well. Yeah. Right. That's always the the chicken or the egg, isn't it? Is it, is it the extreme leanness or is it the negative energy balance that's right. just ruining people? Um, yeah, one would think. I mean, 3.35% is low. You know, so Crazy low. I, just, yeah, I mean, he can't be eating to support the level of activity an NFL player has to go through in preseason practice, I wouldn't think. Well, nor does he have any energy stores to help him when he does, you know, on out. Yeah, exactly. You know, there's just nothing to tap into. When, It'd be cool to get but, some blood work from him, look at hormones, even look at immune markers, mm-hmm. you know, just to yeah. see if he's just tanking, you know. Yeah. yeah. See where he is now and then have him get him back up and test him again. I'd also be curious to see what his diet was like after practices began. Did he continue to try to eat super clean? Did he go back to a more regular diet with that low body fat? You know what I mean? Um, To try to tease apart again that sort of how much of this is under eating and how much of this is just the the leanness itself. I mean, that's almost an academic question, though, because it's clearly related to both. And so does it say how his body fat was measured? No, it doesn't. It just says... That he finished last season at four percent body fat, and he came into camp this season at three point three. Yeah, like I just we do so much measurement, and actually I just tested all of the UNC football teams with DEXA, and you know that over predicts compared to they've had bod pod and skin folk. So yeah. it just you know it, it would matter too. Like that change with him from four to three point three really isn't much of a change. Right. Yeah. 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 Sometimes I always snicker a little bit about the decimals. I mean, I know you include them. There are There is a reason, but what, most people don't realize that we're talking about, depending on the technique, right, plus or minus 2 or 3%. These are estimation right. techniques. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, we, we got a letter from a, a gentleman named Curtis, and this is following up a donation he made to our, uh, our regular listeners, a uh, deal that Lonnie's talked about a lot. Um, he's a Ph.D. in zoology and genetics. Um, he found the iron sports at age 39. He was out of shape, 28% body fat with no cardio. Um, fell in love with lip lifting, manipulating diet, and listening to us here on Iron Radio. Uh, nearly four years later, um, he's really feeling great at 12% body fat and breaking all PRs from his college days. Uh, like many of our fans, uh, he thinks he gets it. Triathlons are fun, but I have to lift free weights and don't want the body that wins a triathlon. So thanks, Lonnie, for all the science chat and news. Uh, love it, love it, love it. Great to have you out there searching the articles and bringing your highly scientific mind to those analysis and applications of studies. Thanks, Fortress, for personal experiences and firsthand knowledge you bring to the table. I admire the attempt to emulate your zen-like attitude when at the gym, your perspective on things, always unique and powerful to an open mind. Thanks, Phil, for all the distance coaching. I think about many of the casual comments you make about hip position on squats or Intensity versus frequency. Uh, wish I was closer to Jim. Would love to chat about my form and all the areas of powerlifting um, if I'm ever in your area. In short, what you guys offer is a unique combination of insight, education, coaching, motivation, and camaraderie for those trying to get stronger and see how far we can go. My donation is grossly inadequate for how many hours of education I've received. Thank you very much, Curtis. That's honorable stuff. Thank you, Curtis. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Up in this line. It's always great to hear that stuff. Yeah, it really is. Awesome. Thank you again. Yeah. Uh, okay. Um, well, I, what I was about to say was, uh, now, Abby, you've, you know, dealt with too much volume, even to the point of stress fractures and all that kind of thing. Um, so your introduction into sport was more from the endurance side. Is that right? Yeah, it's, it's actually kind of a funny story. Um, I have a, a big brother who played football and was totally an anaerobic athlete, and somehow I, I don't know, I just started doing endurance. And I would even do, you know, I was lifting weights and trying to be an endurance athlete and not putting on any muscle. And it, uh, I just, I wish I knew then what I know now, you know, isn't that what we always say? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I was an endurance athlete in college, and then I even did triathlons. And then, I mean, I still do some endurance, but I primarily just do heavy lifting and hit right now. You're doing figure competitions now, right? I've done one, so, <laughs> yes, um, yeah, I mean, I definitely, like, haven't done much endurance com- competitions, I guess, recently, more heavy lifting, mm-hmm. and that's one of the nice things about HIT, though, like, um, just to give you a funny story, I was training for my figure show, which was in June, um, and my brother-in-law challenged me to a 5K, he played college football and thought he could beat me, and so then around Christmas time, I had only been doing hit. We did a 5K, and not only did I beat him, um, I won it all. So just demonstrate, oh, yeah, like that. The hit, really, you don't have to do hours of cardio that I used to do. You can still be, you know, fit and win races. <laughs> not that that's <laughs> what I want to do, but... <laughs> right. Well, I'll tell you what. Um, we're going to take a quick break. And when we get back, let's talk about uh, high-intensity interval training uh, and any other kind of uh, research that you've got related to that. Uh, and we'll be back in just about a minute or two. Sounds good.
Hi, this is Dr. Lonnie Lowry, and on behalf of Phil and Rob, I'd just like to let listeners know that if you love us or you hate us, we'd like you to leave a comment or perhaps vote for us on iTunes. It helps us out quite a bit on the popularity side of things. Uh, You can also follow uh, Dr. Lowry, me, on Twitter. Uh, It's Lawnman7 on Twitter if you want to do that. We also have a Facebook page, the Iron Radio uh, listeners page. So... Uh, whether it's leaving a comment or voting for us or following us on Twitter or Facebook, uh, that would be fantastic. Also, uh, occasionally Rob or myself will write an article for another website, and Phil will as well. So lots of ways to um, interact, uh, follow us in other media, and vote for us and uh, keep things going strong on Iron Radio. Thanks. Hi, this is Dr. Lowry with an update on the protein book that you hear about in the ad at the end of the show. Uh, If you simply Google CRC Press in protein, uh, there's a new development. On the right side of the page, you can see ebook, and there's a purchase slash rent option. And the cool thing here is if you check that out now, because they have an agreement with Vital Book, uh, you can actually download the ebook for $69 US dollars. So that's 31% off the $99.95 uh, cover price. So that's pretty fantastic. $69, I think that's going to drop it into the affordable range for a lot of people. And you can even rent it. Uh, lower down the page, they have 180 day rentals and one year rentals. So you can access the book in electronic format and get some of this juicy information. So thanks. Fix of Iron Radio. In addition to being a popular institute on iTunes, we are also on email. Simply go to www.ironradio.org and sign up for the voluntary email. You'll get a once per week email, no more, that's little more than the show notes and a link to the audio. So go for it. Okay, everybody, we're back. It's Phil and Lonnie, and we are talking with Dr. Abby Ryan-Smith, who has both an endurance and uh, resistance training background, and we're talking about high-intensity interval training. So let's start off with some of the pros and cons, Abby. Um, My understanding of HIIT, and I've mostly been introduced to this by some of the work by, like, Marty Gabal, a lot of those guys up in Canada that were doing this stuff and sort of emphasizing that with very few total minutes of exertion, you can actually get tremendous aerobic adaptations, right? Not just anaerobic, but actual anaerobic and aerobic adaptations with minimal investment when you actually count the number of minutes that you're doing it. So it's very efficient, right? Oh, yeah. um, what was your initial interest in HIIT, you know, and then what are, what are some of the pros and cons? Um, you know, I am, I'm, skeptic about anything, whether it be supplementation or, you know, some sort of form of exercise lifting, you know, you hear a lot, which is what's so exciting about our field is, okay, well, let's try it and I'll test it on myself first, right? So um, I think the initial research by, you know, Gabala was pretty interesting. And so we started doing some research in the lab, although I was still running way too many miles. 
um, you just start to kind of see the gains with such short time. And then I started to, you know, let's try it. You know, how does this actually work? And that's ah, not going to work for me. I'm too fit, you know. Um, and it just, I, I really just became a believer. Why did and, you think it wouldn't work? Just too well, brief? Well, too brief. And, like, as an endurance athlete, you guys are going to think I'm crazy. But, like, a workout doesn't feel like a workout unless you finish and you're, like, so exhausted you can't stand. <laughs> okay. You know, and I'm like, 10 minutes of work is not going to do that to me. You know, so, and I, endurance athletes are crazy. Like, he's just this mental thing. Um, so it just took some time to, to jump in and really wait for the games to set in. Mm-hmm. Did they come fast for you personally? Um, did it surprise you in one way or the other, or what happened? Um, you know, I think just based on, the, like, the continuous amount of literature that comes out, um, you just start to realize certain things like like even you mentioned this before like you can see cardiovascular both aerobic and anaerobic gains and so you know coming from an endurance background I'm not extremely anaerobic um you know but I always wanted to maintain my aerobic base well HIT did that without like so just to give you an example my resting heart rate is 38 beats per minute oh my yeah Mm -hmm. so I passed that when I sit down for too long um but that didn't go away when I stopped doing cardio and only, you know, did hit and heavy lifting, which says a lot. Yeah, I guess it does, doesn't it? Yeah. You know, that's a, that's actually a good point for listeners. I mean, if you don't have access to a $30,000 metabolic cart and you don't want to get your VO2 max tested, resting heart rate, it's something you can always think about. I mean, I know runners probably think about that a lot, but lifters, I'm not sure if they're... And, of course, lots of things affect heart rate, so it's not a yeah. perfect marker of aerobic fitness, but... Not a bad, quick and dirty rule of thumb, though, right? Like you yeah, said, right. yeah, exactly that. And I think recovery too. Like, I, I partly like is not a good thing, but you know, I'm trying to become more anaerobic and put on lean mass, but I recover so damn quickly. So, like, even that aspect, uh, how quickly your heart rate goes down in between sets, is a really good indicator. Oh, another good point. Yeah, yeah. So you mentioned HIIT a couple of times. Um, and doing it and coming to grips with it yourself, from a programming perspective, what would some of our listeners do? If they're fit, you know, they're already exercising, but they might have too much body fat. Maybe they're, I must have said, maybe they're a power lifter. <laughs> but, or an off-season bodybuilder. They want to start something like this. How do, they, how do they start thinking about this? Yeah, that's a really good question. And I will say, like, I'm biased, and we, like, I think everyone should do HIT. Um, we have a study going now in pre-bone marrow transplant patients. So I think everyone can do it in the right form. And mm. so if you were to ask me for bodybuilding or even physique, in powerlifting too, the idea is to keep it very short and intense and the rest period longer. So, for example, you know, 15 seconds all out, 20 seconds all out with, you know, two minutes rest. Whereas, you know, someone that's, trying to maintain more cardiovascular or more like health, um, I would do something like a minute on, a minute off. Okay. Phil, how are you doing that with clients? I know you guys... No, I was going to say, that doesn't sound far from what I do with my powerlifters in like the off seasons. We might run a 40 with a light sled mm-hmm. and slowly walk back mm-hmm. and then run a 40 with a light sled, you know, 10, 12 times, mm-hmm. you know, and it's... 
you, you get a you get a two hundred and eighty three hundred pound man that has a lot of muscle doing that, and their heart rate's a lot. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I think there's a, some data that says that you want it to be longer than ten seconds. Um, and then, you know, a lot of the, the research is on 30 seconds. Mm-hmm. Um, but like I said, like, I'm not that anaerobic. It's hard for me to main a, maintain a high power output or high intensity for 30 seconds. <laughs> I'm going all out. You're you know? a type type one fiber lady, huh? <laughs> yeah, I've got one speed and I can go forever. So if I'm trying to, you know, improve that turnover, I'll stick with that 15 to 20 seconds um, because I can I can get more out of it. Yeah, yeah. I tend to think. Well, first of all, let me back up. My experience with this has always been from transitioning from off season to on season. I'll take a couple of weeks, and mostly I just do it on the bike. Um, but I could see there's probably better ways to do that. I do that almost out of default. I'll either treadmill or bike, you know, with the intervals. And I usually do like thirty second intervals with two or three minutes in between, you know, that kind of thing. But you would think that if you did whole body in some way. Like what Phil's doing out out with the sleds and stuff, that's probably better, you know, because you're just involving so much more. I mean, the highest VO2 maxes, for example, I know that's aerobic, but you're going to see that in cross-country skiers, for example. And I've always thought that was because they involve their upper body to the extent that they do. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, but there's – what are some of the different ways you can do it? So bike, Phil said sled. What else? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, th- I think the bike is really good because it usually gives you a power output, mm-hmm. um, and you can add it. I really like the. Have you guys seen the um, non-motorized treadmills? Oh, mm-hmm. those yep. are awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, they make you want to throw up, but they're really good. <laughs> uh, tire flip, you know, did that last week? Like even stuff with kettlebells or ropes, those are really good options. Um, some of the motorized things, like the spare mill on elliptical, people tell me they do it on that. It's hard to, for me to believe, like if you are especially doing the really short stuff, it's hard to get it, the power output high enough on those things. You know, I, I'm almost sad to hear you say that because last time that I um, actually competed, I tried to use an elliptical, but I, I totally hear what you're saying. It was a real chore. I mean, the whole machine is shaking, you know, because yeah. you're trying to crank it so fast. I'm like... I'm not sure this is working, and I did it for a while anyway, but, you know, if the power output's just not high enough to help, then rats. Another one I've used is kettlebells. Oh, yeah. Yep. And I think, like, wanting not to, you know, crush your your workouts, I think the elliptical and the Stairmaster, people like those, like, it's not a terrible thing, but I would use that almost, like, as, you know, a third hit workout or if I needed it to do it on the same day as a leg day, or, you know, where you're still getting the effort, but it's not quite, like, your priority. Yeah. No, and, and I imagine it's good for variety. I mean, I drifted in that direction because I was having some problems running, you know, just because of injuries and stuff, and that let me use my upper body to crank out some of the power output, you know. Mm-hmm. But, Another but really good one is the ERG, the rowing ergometer. Oh, good one, yeah. Rower. Absolutely. You look crazy. I've had people laugh at me. <laughs> <laughs> it's even better when I work out in a college gym and the college boys are laughing at me. So you wouldn't be a big proponent of the 21,000 meter row like they did in the CrossFit game? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if I had to me to do that. <laughs> if somebody challenged me, I'd probably train for it, but yeah. <laughs> so 
that's your Abby. You're saying that H uh, I I T. Then that's your favorite for fat loss. Favorite you know, technique? and I. I think I've become a believer. Like, I'll just give you, like, I, you know, I've done a lot of miles, lots of, you know, I've made it a priority. It's at least a lot of time. Uh, but then when I went to train for my figure show, you know, I really actually did hardly any cardio and did all hit. And oh, wow. I got leaner. Um, and now when I'm doing some reverse dieting, I, I really don't do any cardio. And I'm less weight. Like, it just it really enhances fat loss, not only during, but it has a big effect metabolically after you're done with your workout. Good point, right. Now, as someone who's done this for a while and, and is very fit, how are how many total bouts are you doing? Um, you mean in one session? I'm sorry, right, intervals. How many intervals, like in a session, right? Uh, I try and do, like if they're 15 seconds, like I really try and depend on what my list session is, but um, six to eight okay. intervals. Yeah, mm-hmm. so I like not a ton. Of how long? Uh, 15 to 20 seconds. Oh, okay. Yeah, and wow. then like when I, you know, in peak, like if you want to get, if you have, you know, some of the listeners like right before show, like kind of, um trying to get really lean, you would bump that up and maybe extend it 25 to 30 seconds, do a couple more intervals. Mm-hmm. Is there an initial, like, warm-up and cool-down space? Yeah, and, yeah, so I like to get a little bit more out, so I'll do, usually I'll do about a 10-minute warm-up. Most people, like, I mean, five minutes is sufficient. Um, yeah. And then sometimes I'm so spent I don't do a cool-down, <laughs> but a couple minutes cool-down. <laughs> Yeah, okay. Yeah, so, I mean, literally, you can get the best workout in, like, 20 minutes. Yeah, I think that's actually a good point as well, that you're you're toast when you're done with it. These are maximal efforts, or or at least nearly maximal, right? I mean, what can you get away with? This sounds terrible, but instead of 100% all out, could you do something like an 80% of your maximal effort for that 20 seconds or so? People will say... They'll probably disagree with me and say you have to go all out. But I vision it's more of a lifestyle. Like there's some days that, you know, I just I can't do 100 percent, but I intervals is what I need to do that day. So, you know, 80, 90 percent. I mean, you're going to still get a good workout. So that would be. Yeah, you're going to get lots of benefit. Right. You're clearly still anaerobic. You're going to create that oxygen debt and all that sort of thing. Right. Exactly. And it's still high intensity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, wouldn't you say this is where also the kind of the cardiovascular effect from just strength training comes in that they've kind of been brought to light more and more recently? I mean, there's, I know, let's say I go out in the gym, I do a set of five or a set of 10 with 500 pounds. My freaking heart rate's through the roof, you know, and then I rest five minutes and then maybe I do another set. I mean, would there, is that kind of where that is coming from too i mean would it be a a a bit akin to hiit i mean in in that way yeah i think a little bit i think um and now there is a large body of people that will probably work out like you but most people that lift weights they rest too long um or the you know the weight isn't heavy enough so they're not going to see those cardiovascular adaptations gotcha yeah uh, but with, gotcha. with HIT and, I mean, probably some um, resistance training, there's a lot of um, metabolic things that are happening within the, the muscle. Well, and I can see it's probably less, 
it's less mentally daunting to push yourself to a hundred percent when it's something like running or something like that. Whereas you have a heavy weight on your back, it's kind of scary mm-hmm. to go to that brink of exhaustion. <laughs> so that you need to get to. Gotcha. Okay. I would think. Uh, to keep the efficiency kind of thing, you can only rest for so long in between. You know, Fortress has mentioned waiting, you know, five, eight, ten minutes oh, between yeah. sets. I, and I, I would think then you, you're kind of, you'd miss any of that, right? Well, it goes against, too, like all energy systems, right? So it's not necessarily absolute, but yeah, you need to go again and kind of train the energy system that you're you're shooting for. Right, right. Well, I know what Phil's getting at, too, because I'm sure many of our listeners, both the the bodybuilding guys and the powerlifting guys, not everybody's huge fans of cardio for its own sake. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And yeah. so we're, we're looking for, how can I dump as much intensity into the iron as possible and not have to do other <laughs> stuff? <laughs> no, exactly. And I, you know, I mean, I've done that with myself. Like if you can, and it's going to be a little bit different than everybody, but for everybody, but if you, you know, say do 90% and lower the rest just a little bit, instead of five minutes, you're out four minutes. You know, yeah. that would help. Right. So let's say, let's go back to Lonnie's thing about, you know, let's say he has somebody new that's just done none of this. Mm-hmm. What's a good start? One session a week? Two? Four? Um, I think, like, if it's somebody that's untrained that you're really just trying to get kind of on their feet, um, one, I would extend the duration of the interval a little bit. So just to give you a little bit of background, most and most of the studies that we have done in just normal, healthy people will do one- or two-minute interval bouts. Okay. Um, for our bone marrow transplant patients, we're starting with three-minute interval bouts. So if you think about that, it's a little bit lower intensity. It's not mm. all out. Mm. Um, so allowing them to kind of get a better base as far as length and then number, um, I actually, there's not a ton of data on injury. Um, but just based on some of the research that we've done and personal experience, you're less apt to get injured and doing hit training. So, you know, one to three times a week. Okay. That's interesting. Less, so less injury. Yeah, like I even took a group, um, my most recent study, I trained a group of overweight and obese individuals. Um, no injuries whatsoever. And we did on the bike. Yeah. What what I'm getting at, I mean, if a person just wanted, a person could get benefit out of one session a week. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, if somebody's just looking to have a little bit more cardiovascular health. You know, I feel like I should reiterate for listeners, too, that we're talking about all out or nearly all out effort too. So it's not like you can just putz around and say, "Oh, you know, how efficient, you know, I'm I'm going to get shredded and I'm, you know, I'm not putting in that much effort." That the trade-off for this hugely reduced amount of time is heroic effort, right? While you're yes. doing it. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, But it's, it's all to relative too, right? So, I mean, I think that's important like, you know, people will say, "Well, obese people can do hit." Well, it's based on their initial fitness level. Yes. No, that's a good point too, right? So, yeah, what's 80 to 100% of of the individual's ability? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And I this is how I say it. Like it's not like there's fancy equipment in the gym which you you don't need, right? Basically, I say if this is your intensity, let's say we're doing 15 seconds, well, you better pick an intensity that you couldn't do for 20. 
and right. then you know you're at the right intensity. Uh, let's talk research here, um, Dr. I, Ryan. I like Ryan. research. Um, specific studies that you've done, I mean, you mentioned a couple already, but some of the take-homes or specific studies that you've done in this regard that kind of jump into your head? Yeah, a couple of the initial ones I've done is with supplementation. Um, so either like a pre-workout or uh, beta-alanine supplementation. And I mean, at the end of the day, the effects of the training are so great. And I think the thing that I am continually surprised about is the amount of lean body mass that's gained in something as little as three weeks. Oh. Uh, mm-hmm. And that's, you know, from not lifting weights but doing HIIT training, and we've seen that in three separate studies. Wow. So just with the cycling, you're saying? Um, I had cycling. We did uh, treadmill running. I guess the other one was cycling. Yeah, all saw an increase in lean body mass. And you think, is that just because of the the muscular activity, the, the resistance uh, on the bike, or the huge power outputs, basically? Yeah, I think, I mean, just like when you lift, it's part of the muscle breakdown and rebuilding process. So I mm-hmm. think it's providing a greater stimulus than most people are used to. Okay. Or different. You know, like I could go run and maybe I'd, you know, cause some muscle damage, but not nearly the same as I would doing hit. Mm-hmm. Actually, when you mentioned injury, that's what I was thinking along the lines. When you said less injury with hit training, mm-hmm. certainly there'd be less overuse injury, right? Yeah. <laughs> because you're barely spending any time at all, really. Yeah, you got it. Yeah. Um, which is, I mean, that's like, to me, is like a dream come true, right? <laughs> I had I had nine stress fractures in college, like putting in all these miles when it's like, you just, it, it can be done in a in a healthier manner and waste less time. Right. You know, there's been a theme in a couple of the, the episodes that we've done, which is sort of like, you know, people moving as they get more and more educated, they move toward higher resistance or more power output kinds of training, you know, and there's always a temptation to kind of say, ha ha, the lifters knew, knew it all along, you know, <laughs> and the kind of thing. But in this regard, that's kind of true, right? Because you're talking about not just with the increased fat-free mass, but better VO2 max, better aerobic ability I mean, as well. I mean, obviously, you're going to have to follow some type of specificity principle if your right. event is a long-distance event. But for pure VO2 max and body comp, you really think HIIT training is the way to go? I mean, I think it's, like you said, as long as there's some specificity there. And, you know, someone mentioned to me, well, it's not novel. Like, I was doing intervals when I was a collegiate runner, right? Um, But I was probably doing way too many and training twice a day. Like, I think we just need to take a different look at that specificity and really you know, look at the higher intensity. Is this something, do you think, is ideal? Um, Like, for a lot of listeners, they might do a, you know, fairly heavy, brief um, powerlifting or bodybuilding kind of session. Just do this at the end, do you think, of the workout? Yeah, you know, I think it really depends on, like, the goal. So, for example, like, if if our goal is strength, yes, of course, do that first. but, like, if I am really working on my metabolism or I, you know, I really want to take advantage of the, you know, the fat burning, I might do that first on a day or something. And then but, 
would you avoid doing it in a separate session? Like if somebody does have the schedule, they could do it in a separate time during the day because of the intense, you know, okay. neural and endocrine, all the systems that are kicking up so hard. I mean, I know it's very brief, but would you recommend against doing it outside of the usual workout or do you think it'd be fine? No, I mean, if you can split it up, you'll probably be happier. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, but sometimes, I mean, that doesn't always happen. So it just, you can tag team it with your workout. But yeah, I think something would suffer. Okay. But for punishment, I like to do them together. <laughs> well, you know, I think traditionally a lot of physique types of competitors, at least, and some powerlifters that I've known just trying to keep their body fat under control, they'll, they'll do some mild aerobic activity or some type of aerobic, and they'll keep it separate from the weight session altogether, you know, if they could possibly schedule it like a before breakfast thing or, or that sort of thing. And that's why I was just curious about, you know, your thoughts as far as lumping it all together versus doing it separate. Because, it's, you know, it's one thing to basically put on an X vest and go walk or do a light walk jog or something like that. This is really intense all-out effort. You know, it, it's brief, but it's very intense. And I was just wondering about, you know, would you, essentially would you be overtraining yourself as far as frequency grows you know, by doing it outside of the workout, I guess. Yeah, you know, I think as long, like, so just to give you a personal example, like when I was just a, a few weeks out um, from my show, I was doing, I, my body wasn't responding because I'm a freaking endurance athlete. Um, so I was doing hit almost five days a week and still lifting, but based on, you know, obviously caloric intake, et cetera, um, I would split my hit sessions with, from my weight those last couple weeks. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so if you were to tag team them together, nutrient timing would be super important. So amino acids, you know, during your head and your lift to kind of maintain that anabolic state. Okay. So you suggest people get a little bit of protein or um, amino acids or something before they do the hit? Yeah, I would say at least before or after. Um, especially okay. based on the data, we've seen the, the best results when some sort of amino acid or protein was um, consumed around the workout. Now, we need more research, but I think based on the intensity, it would be beneficial. Right. Well, as you said, the, if fat-free mass goes up, if there's an increase in muscle tissue in just three or four weeks from doing this kind of thing, you'd think that providing the building blocks would be a good idea, right? Got it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that helps, too, with recovery and preventing any sort of, you know, potential overtraining. Right. You know, you talked about lingering uh, high, hypermetabolism and that sort of thing from the higher intensity types of cardio stuff. Um, mm -hmm. I, I've seen some very interesting stuff with leucine and, and protein intake and, and metabolic rate too. And you'd think that these things might be additive. I mean, maybe not synergistic, but, you know, because in the industry, everything's synergistic. One plus yeah. one always equals five. Uh, but... But in any case, I've got one last question for you um, okay. that, that is really unrelated. And this has to do with a discussion that I've had lately, actually twice. And that is, as someone who's a um, professor and a professional person and a researcher, do you ever think people might misunderstand or find it odd what you do as far as like, um, you know, physique competition? Do you think uh, those things are, you know, somehow um, incongruent in some way or... Not at all. Yeah, no, I, you know, to be honest, um, because of that, I, I didn't really tell anybody that I did it, nor did I do it locally. Um, so, 
Yeah, I think it's a little congruent, but to be honest, for me, like my primary goal of going into this field was to share good information and to basically tell people what I went through and how to do it better. Mm-hmm. And so, like, even I work with, obviously, college students and athletes. It's a little bit different. But if I can make their life easier based on, you know, my experiences, knowledge, et cetera, I mean, I think at the end of the day, that's what my job is. Right. Um, no, so it's I'm part sure. of the experience, I think. Mm-hmm. You can relate that personal side that maybe somebody who's purely academic just couldn't. Oh, yeah. And I will say, too, like, have you guys heard much about the whole, whatever you want to call it, metabolic adaptation, metabolic damage side of things? Uh, A little bit. Well, so, I mean, I really came into that throughout my training for my figure show. So, basically, um, I mean, I was under-consuming calories, not because of, for any reason now, but it really halted my fat loss through my show or to prepare Mm -hmm. and looking at the literature and even translating that into, for example, a college female who is under consuming calories and then, you know, binges on the weekend and they gain weight. Um, It's really kind of helped me form some new research questions and really translate some practical information to um, girls, women, even men that tend to under eat and then when they do eat, gain weight. Um, so I think it, I wouldn't do it if it didn't have some sort of translational aspect. Right. I'm actually, that's something that we're going to have to touch on more in the future. I've been seeing comments about metabolic damage quite a bit lately. And it actually, originally I learned that something like, let's say, yo-yo dieting, you know, Mm -hmm. caloric deficit and loss and then regain was very bad. And then over the past couple of years, there's some NIH material, even public educational stuff through some of their um, their websites and offices that suggested that that was overstated and there's really not much of a problem. And now I'm hearing the term metabolic damage again. It makes it sound like the pendulum's swinging back the other way. So I'll be honest with you. I'm sort of confused about all this right now. Yeah, and I, you know, I think the best, it's not necessarily yo-yo dieting, but, um, and I'm still learning the body of literature, but a really good cohort is like somebody with an eating disorder. So if you, and that's the research, if you take that same model, so let's take a physique competitor or even bodybuilder who hasn't done it the right way and is extremely hypocaloric, you know, for whatever, 12 weeks, and then right after the show they binge. And they automatically gain weight, right? Because, well, one, their fat cells are going to be more hyper-responsive and some hormonal things. Um, But there's a different way. So think about people. Most women under-consume calories as it is. So, you know, when they do start eating more or they have, you know, a big meal, they'll, they'll likely gain weight. So it's kind of translating that, and we do need more research. But I do think something's there. I've often wondered, I mean, obviously your homeostasis is going to want to drive you back up in body weight and fatness. You know, um, fat storage enzymes, lipogenic enzymes, all these kinds of things are going to be an overdrive after a period of basically semi-starvation, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but as far as lingering, and I, and I can understand that. To me, that's homeostasis. But like you said, I think the real question comes into what's the long-term, you know, damage per se like if you're talking about permanent biochemical changes and that kind of thing you know and how much of this is done through just restriction at the mouth versus being in a negative energy balance from 
over-exercise, say, or, you yeah. know, there's just so many issues. It's something I, th- I think I definitely want to touch on uh, in the future because I, I'm really getting mixed um, messages as far as some of these things. Anyway. Well, and I think, I, I agree with you, and I think it's more chronic. So, I mean, just to, like, I, for personally, like in college, right, so I definitely under-consumed and over-exercised. I was clearly in a caloric deficit. And then, you know what, you're, you know, collecting data, you under-eat, like you don't, your body has this lower set point. So then when you do start eating more, if you're not tracking your intake, you're likely to have some implications with body composition. So as far as damage, I'm not sure, you know, what is the damage, but I think there's some long-term things, even with, like, I hate to use this example, but, like, let's say the biggest loser and they lose a large amount of weight very quickly and they're hypocaloric and then they go back to eating normal. Yeah. You know, there's a better way to do that, right? Can't we just slowly increase their intake and their metabolism will catch up? Yeah, the the refeed has always been sort of the uncharted, you know, or, or under-addressed part of dieting, I think, for fitness competitions. You know, everybody talks about the fat loss. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, how do you refeed? I mean, I've looked at, there's different types of fatty acids that are arguably better than others to, to consume, you know. Um, how do you slowly bring your calories back up without, yeah, just it, it blowing back up, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, let me show you an example. I just Googled this, and literally, healthfinder.gov, yo-yo dieting won't harm long-term weight loss efforts. Weight cycling does not have a negative effect on metabolism. The study found blah, blah, blah. Dr. Ann McTiernan, a member of the Fred Hutchinson Cancer Research Center, it's NIH stuff. And this is, you know, off topic. I'm sorry. <laughs> this is off topic, but, but the point being is it's something I'd like to look at in the future because that, that was a, a good thing that you brought up there. Yeah, there's a really good paper. I'll have to send it to you. It, it, it uses obese individuals, but it talks about, like, what happens after dieting, kind of talks about fat cell rebound. It's really interesting, and it just gives a perspective that maybe something is there. I don't think damage is the right word, um, but yeah. adaptation, like, you know, how can we survive on such a um, under intake, you know, because our body just adapts. Right. Well, with so many interactions, I mean, I'm going to date myself, but, you know, when I was an undergrad, we learned about, like, the glucostatic theory, the lipostatic theory, all these, you know, mm-hmm. it was vagary about body weight management and set point. And now this is all being so teased apart biochemically with, you know, leptin and thyroid depression and the interactions and, you know, all these different things, adiponectin, um, so many systems at the same time. And, you know, if it's lingering, I say, maybe the word damage is accurate. If it's just an acute increase in LPL because my fat cells are trying to restore the fat, um, mm-hmm. yeah, I can accept that <laughs> for a period afterwards, I guess. I don't know. But. Okay, well, um, I wanted to finish with one thing now. Um, current projects. I know you have you have a new book out with, with Dr. Antonio, right? Yes. We've got some um, legit authors in there, so I think it just went on sale. What's the title of that? Um, sports supplements and or sports nutrition and supplements. So people, where can people find the Google that? I guess it's that um, Linus publication. It's like sports supplements and ergogenic aids or performance enhancing supplements. Anything else big going on that you want to let listeners know about, or is that is that enough for now? 
Um, just stay tuned. Like I said, we've got lots of really cool high intensity data coming out in different populations. And then, you know, I'm a sucker for supplements, um, just because I've seen what benefit they can have. Um, so we've got some cool, uh, for example, we have a study that we're going to compare uh, an acute bout of HIIT versus um, aerobic exercise versus HERT, so high-intensity resistance training with some carbohydrate and protein intake on things like energy expenditure and fat oxidation. Oh, okay. Well, maybe we'll have you back on. You can uh, enlighten us. Okay, there you go. All right. All right. Well, thanks, Abby, for being on. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, thank you, guys. Okay, everybody. Well, uh, that's it for this week. Next week, uh, actually, we have a new recording time. You all don't know that because I still put this up about the same time online. But um, next week, I think it's going to be just Phil and I. Uh, and the week after that, we've got Dr. Jeff Stout coming on. Well, I know it's part of uh, Abby's sort of academic family tree, so to speak. Yeah, I call him dad. <laughs> there you go. Okay. <laughs> we'll see you next time, everybody. No, thanks, everybody. Thank you. Iron Radio is accepting donations. If you like what we do, the professors, the scientists, the bodybuilding show promoters, the athletes themselves in powerlifting and bodybuilding. Um, please consider making a donation or maybe buying something from the ironradio.org uh, store. Uh, we also are accepting supporting members. So for $4 a month, which is frankly less than the bank sneaks out of your account in fees, you can step up and support a form of sort of public radio for the bodybuilding and powerlifting and strength community. Hey, IronRadio.org listeners, this is Lonnie Lowry, and I'm just bringing you a sneak peek only for Iron Radio listeners at this point. If you Google CRC Press, Lowry, L-O-W-E-R-Y, and Protein, you can be some of the first people on the planet to see this book. It's specifically for strength athletes, everything on the safety of high-protein diets, the efficacy, the dosing, the types practical applications and case studies. This is a textbook. It's not what I would call an industry book. This is not pseudoscience. This is the state-of-the-art science. And if someone wants to critique you on your extra protein intake, this will be something you can hold up and say, this is what the liter literature says about stressed kidneys or bone loss or gout or dehydration or increased muscle mass over time or leanness or what types are best. This is the ultimate source in one place. Little disclosure here. I do make a single digit percentage of royalties on this book. It's such a low amount, however. Obviously, I haven't done it for that purpose. I did it because, like you, I want to have something I can hold up in one place that's modern literature instead of what a, perhaps a health educator might tell you about the benefits and the potential concerns, if there are any, on ample protein diets specific to a population like ours. Thank you. The Iron Radio Podcast and all of the audio on ironradio.org is for informational purposes only. If you're interested in starting a diet or exercise program, it's important to check with your physician. Also seek the help of registered dietitians, athletic trainers, and qualified exercise physiologists in order to make the progress that you need.